Welcome to the Conversation of Money podcast. I am your host, Peter Komalafe. This is where we talk about money and all things personal finance, where we help you make the best financial decisions possible because money is a tool and life is for living. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Welcome back to the show for 2023. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much. I hope you had an amazing Christmas and an amazing New Year. Um, The podcast this year, I have given this so much thought and I'm really excited to freshen it up a little bit. And one of the things that I thought about all the way through last year was how I could branch out and speak about some other topics that are beyond the scope that we've touched previously on the show. And what I mean by that is we will still talk about investing. We will still talk about, you know, the budget. We'll still talk about the fundamental things around how to make personal finance, number one, interesting, practical for you and making the best financial decisions. But what I do want to do this year is actually branch out onto other topics that are around the periphery of money. So that would include things like entrepreneurship. We're going to talk about that this year on the podcast. I want to talk about money and relationships. This is the stuff that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. I want to talk about money and mental health and also talk about wider topics when it comes to financial literacy. And so this year, it sounds different. It feels different. It is going to be different, but nonetheless, I hope to still deliver you with the same amount of value that you've got from me in the previous two years of the show. Now, to kick off this year, I have a really big announcement. I've been working on something over the Christmas period, and this has been a work in progress for a very, very long time. It is a very, very big tick in a very big box, and something that I am so excited to share with you. However, I can't do it on this episode because I am not allowed to officially announce until this Thursday. Press releases are going to go out this Thursday. And so on Monday next week, I will give you the full lowdown of what I've been working on, what's coming out. And more importantly, I need your help. And I'm going to be asking you to support me in this project. But with that being said, I don't want to carry on and talk more about it because I get tempted to just spill the beans and let you know right now and I'll get into trouble if I did that. Um, So I want to move on to this topic in this episode being about financial literacy. So last week, Rishi Sunak proposed that he will make mass compulsory for every child, every kid in school up until the age of 18. That's extending it for two years from 16 to 18. Now, in the midst of everything that's happening right now, he got a lot of backlash as though he was just making this uh, throwaway statement to distract from the pressures, obviously with all the strikes with the NHS and the railway and other issues that need to be tended to. But really and truly, I think there is a little bit of substance in what he was talking about. And for me, I'm not necessarily interested in the math element. I'm interested in the financial education, financial literacy element. And so I had a chat with someone that is very well qualified and positioned to speak about this. He is presenter, mathematician, part-time teacher, former trader, Bobby Siegel. This is the conversation I had with him 
on my YouTube channel this past week. Bobby, welcome, mate. Hi, Peter. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Do you see that there is an intersection between mathematics and financial literacy, financial education? And if you do see an intersect, where do you think it intersects exactly? Yeah, so the way I would see it is, so imagine, do you remember Venn diagrams in school? You know, the mm -hmm. big circles, often yeah. used for probability. So mathematics is the main circle. So that mm -hmm. encompasses everything, your geometry, your algebra, your calculus, your Pythagoras theorem, your stats, your probability, your data, all that sort of stuff. Math that, that's all mathematics. Uh, mm -hmm. Numeracy is one aspect of that. It's a subset, probably the most important aspect. And financial literacy and obviously financial education then is connected to that because numeracy is all about application of mathematics, uh, mm -hmm. not in a theoretical. Because at university, people can spend time doing pure maths. And I've got friends that are pure maths professors and they look at things. Again, I think it's really beautiful. It's an expression of human creativity, but it's very much something that's very mathematical, very abstract, probably won't have applications to the real world for maybe a couple of hundred years, but it, they, they, you mm -hmm. know, they, they sit there working creatively. But the numeracy side, which is about looking at percentages, your ratios, decimals, currency conversion, um, even things like household, like how do you convert Celsius to yep. Fahrenheit? Or how do you yep. read a bus yep. timetable? Or how do you um, manage it, manipulate an Excel spreadsheet to add things up? That sort of side, the numeracy, that's what I'm hoping the government really focuses on because our country... We have like, we've got a mathematics phobia. And that, to be honest, I'm sad about that. Mm. But as a human being, it doesn't make me so sad that people are afraid of Pythagoras and trigonometry. It'll make me devastated if people are then afraid of using numbers when they're thinking about, you know, applying for a loan, uh, get, getting a car, or buying a season ticket for their mm -hmm. rail. And if that fear of maths then infects their ability to work with numbers day to day, then I think that's a tragedy. That's why financial yeah. literacy and financial education have got to be connected to numeracy. So if the government's really thinking about making this a serious policy, and again, the, the skeptics will say that there's nothing firm in writing. It's a, it's a, it's a promise and a pledge rather than mm -hmm. something written in paper. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, it's that, they've, got that, they've got to find that missing piece. They've got to get the numeracy and financial literacy linked together. Mm. It's interesting you said, because obviously numeracy being the application of it all. I, with my background... I mean, so I done maths in school, but I, mm. I I haven't used algebra, I haven't used algebra or anything like that mm. in 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 the in any of my roles really. It hasn't yeah. really been it hasn't been called for per se, and I know that currently it is kind of the existing financial literacy curriculum is is tagged on to that mathematicals because you're saying it's the application of it yeah i don't know i'm still a firm believer that i think it needs to be separated because there's so much in terms of the practical world these days that you can't cover in maths mm. and if it is included in the maths um curriculum we need to maybe reimagine how we actually teach it in terms of the practicalities of how you take that critical thinking into things like interest rates, mm. mortgages, that kind of stuff, but broaden it out. And I don't know what your what your views are on that. Mm. So I'll tell you, so uh, my school and several schools I have friends that teach in, what they have a policy is, maths is maths. Um, we are driven by what the national curriculum is, uh, what's an exam, and we'll teach towards that. Even though sometimes I'll try and make things, you know, I'll bring up a salient point about interest rates. But the way that financial literacy is taught um, is through PSE, so personal, mm -hmm. social, educational, PSHE, different variations of it. 
Uh, so these are form teachers. And I think 20 minutes once a week on a Friday in my school, for example, PSHE will be taught. Um, and for that session, it's about financial literacy. But here's what the, the challenge is. PSE is taught by all form teachers. Not mm -hmm. all form teachers we know are comfortable with AMAFs or financial mm -hmm. literacy, and yet they're yeah. teaching it. So I think even though in theory there is that weekly 20-minute slot in my school, most of the teachers delivering it just don't feel comfortable because they've not been trained to be financial literacy teachers. Yeah. So I, what I think needs to be done is it needs to be made more formal. And I think the reality is the only, the only thing that makes schools make pay serious attention to this is if there's a genuine real qualification that they get assessed on because if we get assessed on it through Ofsted and again I've got separate million you know I could have a million hour conversation on Ofsted and its merits or demerits but if schools <laughs> are assessed on something through an exam through a GCSE whatever qualification then schools will deliver if it's something that's just there as a sort of like a nice to have additional package which is what it is now it's always going to be at the bottom of your priorities and that's yeah. what I think it is now yeah it's funny it's interesting you say this because um i'm looking into this because i would love to be able to i i think that there is a way that you can introduce financial education from i guess the realms of my background and my experience into school make it really engaging for kids but i completely agree with you my partner she is a teacher so we have that the the issue is you can't teach what you don't know mm. and when a teacher doesn't isn't necessarily comfortable with a subject you can't really get that enthusiasm, make it relevant, make it creative, work with the room to make it something that kids are able to pick up on and, you know, really get enthused and bought into. And there was a government consultation piece, I think it was back in 2018, 19. And the piece basically said, look, you know, when you look at financial education, specifically in schools, there is some help that is needed from, you know, the financial services industry, my industry. Mm -hmm. um, but the reality is, what bank or what investment house, what set of financial advisors are going to go into schools and actually teach this stuff? And I think there is a big gap there that needs to be met. I'm I'm a big big believer that there may be a way to actually use technology um, to provide something that will be that could be rolled into schools. Mm -hmm. But I guess it's just really there's the the practical logistics of actually making that happen with Ofsted and and those are the hurdles mm -hmm. that we need to that we need to cross. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. Um, the financial industry, to be honest, the, the, some organizations, like I know Barclays, for example, produce something called like life skills, which they have resources that schools can use. But I think with schools, this is what the issue is. Schools, like, like there'll always be, this will be the same thing in, you know, 10, 20 years ago, the same in 20 years. There'll always be too many things, too little time. That's always going to be yeah, the yeah. case. But yeah. I think financial education is so important. And I'll give you just one anecdote from my own experience. So um, I teach in Newham in East London. I've been teaching, I've been now, this is my actually now, I'm trying to think. I started teaching in 2014, February. So it's like, it's coming up to nine years. So wow, some, of my, yeah. some, of the, some of the some of my students I taught at the very beginning, they're now adults in their mid, early, mid, mid twenties. And if I, if they see me in the high street, to be honest, most <laughs> students, they're trying to avoid former teachers. They're like trying to, they don't talk to their teacher. But some of them- You were the cool students, teacher though, Bobby. <laughs> yeah, I know. Some of the funny, some of them, they think, they think I'm the cool teacher. I don't know how that happens, but some of them will say, oh, sir. You're Mr. Seagull. I'm like, yeah, were, were you Josh? Were you, you Josh? Oh, so do you remember my name? They get excited if I remember the name. Anyway, there was a student called Josh. And genuinely, they'll say, oh, sir, you're a good teacher. I enjoy the enthusiasm. But sir, why do you teach us about interest rates? I don't understand loans. I don't understand my student loan. Well, what does it mean to CPI, RPI? They genuinely have 
the ones, especially the ones that are more, um, have, a, I guess, a curiosity, they'll say, we genuinely wanted to learn about this, but you didn't deliver this for us. And obviously, mm -hmm. it's not my fault. It's just, it's not in the curriculum. So clearly, there's yeah. a demand from young people for this, because they keep telling me, why do we spend so much time on Pythagoras and trigonometry and uh, when they're the things that I don't use at all, but financial education wasn't there. And mm -hmm. I think the answer we had before, I can only teach what's in the curriculum. As a teacher, yeah. sometimes if I, if I carve yeah. out five minutes, like we're doing percentages, I can say, okay, we're going to spend five minutes now just looking at what the interest rate announcement means and we'll do a practice question on percentages there. But that's for me creating space and, that, and not all teachers will do that. Yeah. So I think ultimately it has to come from government. If government decides that financial education is that important, and we, we clearly people like us, we believe it is, if they mm -hmm. put it in the curriculum, one way is they can they can embed it into, into maths education or they make it a separate actual freestanding qualification. It's like I know in mm -hmm. Scotland, they have a separate qualification called arithmetic. That's more like that's like numeracy, but yeah, young people, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if it still exists, but it definitely was there. Young people that didn't like the theoretical mathematics would still come up with arithmetic qualifications. Mm -hmm. I think there's now a need for a financial education qualification. FE, I don't yeah. know what you want to call it, financial literacy. Yeah. Matt, I can't, I cannot agree with you more on that point. I just think that the world has evolved so much. Like kids these days are coming up against brand new things. Like kids these days will know what Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are. Like, you know, trust me, when I was like, 13 14 years old like i wasn't looking there was nothing like that i wasn't thinking anything like that like of yeah. course not you know and as the world evolves we need to have things like the education system evolve alongside that because these kids are faced with a completely different reality to what it used to be back in the day and the the hardest bit of this is getting government to 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 realize it and actually pivot make the bold decision to make the change. That's the bigger battle to try and win. And I I don't really know how to tackle how you would tackle that. It has to take some kind of influence. I think if you were Martin Lewis, you might be able to make some headway in some way, shape or form. But you know, it, it's a long battle. Because he's been pushing for years and years. Uh, he created a little book thing, didn't he? Yeah. Which was so, really, really good. Yeah, for from his so from his own pocket because the government didn't fund it, he's sent out textbooks to every single school in the country. So my school has a physical copy. Uh, we sometimes use the electronic version. And it's a brilliant book. But again, it's a book that schools can use at their discretion. So if a teacher, again, it, PSE, personal social education, is the only window of opportunity to do that. So if the school's already got their own curriculum mapped out with, mm -hmm. you know, like religious education, sex education, uh, social education, then... The, the windows for the financial education is so tiny and so small. small yeah and again yeah. what i said before because financial education is delivered by just form teachers a lot just depends on that teacher itself so one of my uh friends at my school he used to work in the city for a few years so whenever he delivers financial education class i've seen it they're brilliant he will bring mm -hmm. up bbc articles um yeah. recently when the interest rates went up he put it up and asked students to discuss what that means but other teachers that you know for whatever reason, maybe you're a music you haven't got the background, yeah. or art teacher, and you've never really yeah. thought about finance. When you're trying to deliver financial literacy, it's not possible. It's not. It's not. It's yeah. unfair on them. So yeah. there's a case for like, do we need to think about how we can train teachers? Maybe math teachers. I don't know. Maybe physics. I don't know what teachers, but certain teachers that can teach financial literacy and making it compulsory. And in fact, I would say like Ofsted 
offset think I think offset think about things like ah oh, are there ways that we can uh, children are exposed to like culture and museums and art I think financial literacy has to be one of their key bits in which they assess schools because it's a gross negligence that we let young people leave schools without understanding the financial world. So that's a little excerpt of the full conversation I had with Bobby Siegel on my YouTube channel this past week. If you want to check out the full conversation, I will leave a link in the show notes for you to go check it out. But what do you think? Do you think that mathematics needs to be separated in this whole conversation around financial education in our schools? There is merit to have it as a separate uh, curriculum or a part of the curriculum, but it feels as though there are just practical hindrances in our way. Now, we do know, according to research, that we form our financial habits at the tender age of seven. Seven years old. It's pretty scary when you think of it in that way. And what that basically means is that by the time we get to adulthood, the financial habits that either serve us well or don't do us well in terms of service are already locked in. When you compound that with the fact that we don't receive any financial education, no wonder as adults we start to make really poor decisions and we struggle with things. You know, I've shared on this podcast and across YouTube a number of times that I struggled with debt for 15 years and that was because I didn't understand how credit cards worked. I didn't understand how overdraft worked. I thought, you know, when a bank offers you a credit card or an overdraft, you accept it. And I mismanaged that entire situation. And I guess I want to leave you with a challenge this week. If you are listening to this podcast and you have children, it is really important to have these conversations with your kids early games that you can play with them. Monopoly is a great one if they're old enough to understand that it's not just about going to work, collecting your salary, passing go, and not ever buying assets on the board. What typically happens to the person who doesn't own any assets on a Monopoly board? They get wiped out. They pay rent to people who do acquire those assets. And that right there is a very easy and early way of introducing your children to the concept of investing, to the concept of the value of money, that it's not just about going to work nine to five and never acquiring assets. You can start to have very tangible conversations with them from there. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I will speak to you next week on Monday where I will be sharing my big news with you. And more than anything, I'm so excited to the value that it will also deliver to you. Have an amazing week. And remember, money is a tool. Life is for living. I'm checking out.